welcome to the Innovating Purpose podcast, where I'm striving to live intentionally and seeking clarity for new and young readers. Hello and welcome to Newburgh Friends Church. I've really missed meeting with all of you and worshiping God together. This week in Real, our women's Bible study, we talked about the power of corporate worship and how it changes us for the better. Even though we can't meet together right now, God is still the same, still worthy of our praise. I want to share Psalm 5, 11, and 12 with you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them, that all who love your name may be filled with joy. For you bless the godly, O Lord. You surround them with your shield of love. I pray you find many ways of worshiping God with joy until we can do it together once again. Let's praise the Lord. Well, we welcome you to uh, church this Sunday morning. So glad you're with us remotely, wherever you're at. Would you just enter into the Lord's presence with us? Uh, we're going to sing a beautiful song, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. And I just thought about those words just now, of Bless the Lord, O My Soul, and how we kind of wake up our own soul to begin to worship the Lord. And we know that worship is way beyond music, uh, but music is a beautiful part of worship. So this morning, wake up your soul and let's bless the Lord together. Here we go. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. His holy name and sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Where the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. So bless the Lord, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I will worship Your holy name. Cause You are rich in love and You're slow to anger. 
your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness i will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find so bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my I will worship your holy name and on that day when my strength is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore so bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul i will worship your holy name i will worship your holy name and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around sing holy and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to the around me and I will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation and I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken and holy there is no one like you there 
is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder come and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me to those around Welcome to Newburgh Friends Church and to our online service. We are so glad that you joined us here today as we continue in our study in Acts. Thanks for being here. When I was uh, contemplating the story that we're about to jump into today in Acts chapter 8, I asked myself this, this question, this thought. What story comes to my mind when I think about God's authority and God's power. Pause yourself. What two, one or two stories come to your mind when you think about God's authority and power? As I did this, I was immediately drawn to the story of the Ten Commandments. It's a very infamous story. People that know the Bible or even don't know the Bible are familiar, at least with parts of this story. But God's authority really shows itself, and even his power shows and reveals itself. As you read in Exodus 19, before you get to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, you see that God's authority and power uh, literally shook a mountain. There was lightning, there was thunder. There was a ram's horn that continuously gets louder. The people were terrified. There was smoke and even a cloud that covered the mountain. And there was what seemed like fire that descended upon the mountain as God descended on the mountain. I think about, wow, that is biblical proportions of God showing and revealing. When we jump to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 9, I was drawn to another story. It's God in the flesh. It's Jesus Christ. As he's walking among us, he is faced with a situation where a paralyzed, lame man is brought to him. Jesus says to this lame person, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the religious law at this point go crazy. They are furious with anger, but it seems to imply that they didn't even speak their anger. It was more of almost, if at anything, a whisper amongst themselves. But they say, does he think he is God? That he can forgive sins? And Jesus responds, which is so difficult for me to comprehend because it reveals his, his God ability, that he could read their thoughts and their minds. And he says to them, which is easier, for your sins to be forgiven or for me to say to this man, stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that 
I, Jesus, am the son of man, and that I have the authority of heaven and earth to forgive sins. And how does he reveal his authority and his power? He heals the lame man, this paralyzed man, and he says to him, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. These two illustrations are God's authority and his power on display. And when I consider God's authority and his power, I can stand back in awe, which I should, but I also want us to ponder today, this morning, God's goodness in the midst of his authority and power. Sometimes I think we miss or we forget his goodness is right there in the midst of that. You see, his authority is both direct and it is mysteriously good. God is perfect and his ways are perfectly true. He created us in perfection but within his understanding and in his creation, he, that, he knew that we would sin and he knew that we needed a way back into relationship. So although his intention is perfection and God's goodness, we are still given the opportunity to commune with and follow, serve God. So my hope today is that you will respect and appreciate God's authority, but also see that his reign, his kingdom has never been, nor will it ever be in jeopardy. He is powerful, but he is amazingly good. I want to pray for us before we get into Acts chapter eight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are righteous and good. I thank you that you are worthy of our praise. And I'm drawn to your authority and your power, but I'm humbled by your mercy and your grace. You are powerful enough to shake and move mountains, which is hard for me to fathom. But yet you were intimate enough to create every microscopic cell within each and every one of the humans you have created. And even further, you intimately want to know us, have relationship with us. And so today, may we be lost in the mystery of your goodness as well as your power and authority. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. As we jump in this morning to Acts chapter 8, I want us to read together the first eight verses. As you remember, chapter 7 left off with the stoning of Stephen. Chapter 8 jumps in with, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. 
Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. As we take some time to reflect on this story, we can't forget that Stephen was just brutally killed in the streets. He was stoned to death. This is a breaking point in the early church. This is, this is not the news that you want to share with the community. Stephen has been killed. He's the first martyr. And we also know that people are being attacked and imprisoned and dragged out of their homes at the orders of Saul. So there's this devastating thing that is taking place. There's fear. I'm sure there's anxiety. But I don't want us to miss this. Although it seems as though the enemy is winning, it seems like the church is beginning to unfold and fall apart. Although it seems like this thing that was just being built up, this thing, this following of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, although that seemed to have momentum, those early bricks seemed to be crumbling. But do you catch what happens in verse 4? Because as I read this, I am so blessed to see what took place. Even though they were forced to leave or were fleeing, they spread the good news everywhere they went. So rather than complaining about their situation that you are in, or, or just even asking yourself, what is the silver lining? Stop and ask God what he might be preparing you for. As I look at their story, I see something genuinely beautiful, but overwhelmingly convincing to me that this was not their own self-interest that they were pursuing. They were pursuing something far greater than their own livelihood, far greater than their own safety. They were going out and being prepared. And so this is some of the thoughts that have come to my mind. What are the special tasks that I am asked to do in the midst of a trial? You know, there's that mentality of saying, you know, I was forced to move. You can have that mentality. Or you can have this, we get to move and spread the good news about God. We see this directly in the story. There's also the opportunity, I think, for you and I to believe that the situation that that you're the victim, or me, I'm the victim. Or you can say, I have an opportunity right now. Today, I want you to hear this. Suffering is never what I want, nor is it what I pray for. But this is where I grow the most. When I'm in the midst of chaos, when I'm in the midst of trials, on the other side of it, however long it takes, Hours, days, weeks, months, years. When I get to the other side of it, I realize that I needed to grow in that way. This life throws many trials our way. A death of a friend like Stephen would have certainly been extremely difficult for these people to comprehend. How many times has a death completely shut down your world? Or you needed to move for a job? 
make new friends, buy new things, or sell some property. The opportunity in the midst of the trials the Christians were feeling, yet they continued to share the good news of Jesus Christ along the way. They found a way to be joyful. They found a way to see the silver lining. It's so easy for me to be scared of what may happen, to, to hide, to protect my own, to worry about my stuff and my belongings. And I think for each one of you today, you may recognize this as well. And let me just bring this person in, this perspective of the devil's advocate, reminding you of how this could go wrong. We all know that individual, that person that always seems to twist it that way. They look for the way to remind you, as though you needed to remember that, of all the ways that possibly could go wrong. I can play that out a hundred times in my own head. I know how it could go wrong. Yes, it's almost like a cartoon. I know an anvil could fall from the sky and crush me at any moment, but the reality is the likelihood of that taking place, I can't live in a world of what-ifs. And so I want us to remember, you could go that route of wondering when, when and how it'll go wrong, or your prayer could change. You could ask the Lord that you wouldn't linger in fear, that you would be faithful in the present moment, that you would be obedient in spite of not being able to see how, how things could go right. It's, it's a true test of our faith. And it's a true moment of saying, God, I release this to you. Help me to truly release it. I ask you to self-evaluate. Are you willing to be uncomfortable? Would you rather only help out people that look just like you and to to keep you uh, feeling comfortable? Or would you rather say, God, these people, however difficult or however easy they may be to deal with, Would you help me to find a way to serve and comfort them? Because you've called me to love people. It doesn't put characteristics that we're supposed to be offended by. It doesn't put a certain look that a person has before we're supposed to like them. You know, the people that I get to share my faith with, rarely does the person ever ask the right questions or the things that I feel ready to answer. They come to me raw with emotion or serious doubts. And I often think, God, why are you bringing this person to me? But quickly in my mind, I think, God has brought this person to me. So am I going to say, I wish you would have brought me a really already fixed person? Or do I hope that God will bring the people that he has prepared me to minister to? And I think if we posture ourselves in that way, we're much more prepared to minister rather than looking for the perfect situation to love on others. I want to ask you, do you give up on sharing your faith or doing things that advance the kingdom of God just because you're nervous or self-conscious or worried or wonder if that person will betray you? I want you to really pay attention here. People will betray you. People will do things to you that are regrettable, at at least. 
that at worst, they could betray you to, in the most awful way. But I want you to believe that if God can love you, and if God can love me, then he can love that person that filled your mind that you just think is unlovable. And rather than just wondering, you know, if you're going to come across right, it's saying, Lord, would you give me courage instead of doubt? As we go back into the story, I want us to recognize that true authority and power is not self-conceited. It is not self-promoting or selfish. In Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, which we've already read, true authority is hard to miss. We see what's happening in this overwhelming ministry of Philip and what he was doing amongst the Samaritans. The people there had felt dismissed for years, for generations. They had been called half-bloods. They were almost, when they were brought up, when a Samaritan was brought up in a conversation, there was a disgust that would have been, a feeling of disgust would have come out in the emotions of those that spoke. But yet God wanted them. And this ministry is taking place amongst the Samaritans. And they were receptive. And God was healing them. And demons were being cast out. So the authority of God was coming through the apostles and their work was being blessed not to promote the apostles' power in any way, shape, or form. This was not about them. This was God saying, I love my creation and they're not half-bloods to me. They're not half of something to me. They are fully my children And God is beginning to show his love for all people. And it truly changes the landscape. The authority that came from Philip was not done in self-promotion. He wasn't some televangelist. I know that wouldn't be a word for then. But he wasn't a televangelist that was traveling for profit or to try and get a bigger audience. His intent was to see that people knew and heard and understood who Jesus was the real Jesus, to know his forgiveness, to know what true life can be like and how it is available to all people that trust and believe in Jesus. You see, God has authority over the darkness and the enemy. The difference between God and the enemy is that God is all light. He is all perfection and he is holy. And the darkness has to flee The enemy must bend their knee because he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And when the authority had been given to the apostles at Pentecost, when the spirit of God moved amongst them and filled them with the Holy Spirit, this same authority is how they were able to cast out demons. And so these demons had to obey. And we see that the demons fled, screaming and terrified because they were of the darkness and they were leading people astray. I want us to continue in the story. Verses 9 through 25. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. 
They listened closely to him because for a time he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of, upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you, for thinking God's gift can be bought. You have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will, give, he will forgive you of your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and, and are captive, held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the, the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. They stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As we see in this powerful passage, we are brought to a state of awe and wonder. We knew what was taking place in verses 5 through 13, and we knew that this wasn't a human or man-made religion. This was supernatural, and it was beyond anything that they had seen before. And they had seen some pretty powerful stuff. Simon was no joke. The man had power, enough to be called the great one. He would have been what we may call as a really good magician, or even they called sorcerer, so you see there's an element of evil and darkness. You see the authority that the enemy has too here, enough to dazzle the people, to show these different things and these different effects that would have impressed the people. Yet when he saw what the disciples were doing, and they weren't doing it for self-promotion, he desired it. I mean... Can you imagine his perspective? If, if you're the best at your trade and then these new guys come into town and everyone begins to follow them, wouldn't you have offered to buy it? Like, man, that's the best trick I've ever seen. I want to heal people. I wouldn't mind having the ability to say, Holy Spirit, you can go on this person and this person. So it's clear that he was human. He saw this gift and thought to himself, I want that. But he assumes it's a cheap trick, something that he could buy. He observes this power and he wanted the authority and who could blame him. The scolding that he receives is, is very pointed. They are, he's reminded this is not for sale. We don't do this for a profit. We do this to honor God and we do it to free people from the bondage of sin. And, is, and 
I'm astounded at this story because they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, and there's a lot to process there. But we see that the gift of the Holy Spirit is free and is given freely by God to those that believe in him. And if you are interested in this Holy Spirit coming for you, this same Holy Spirit is available to you. If you will commit your life to following Christ, this same Holy Spirit is available. And I have to pause and remember this often. You know, so many times when I look at a conversion or I see the Holy Spirit entering into a situation, I, I try to overcomplicate it. Or I try to read the story and pause and think, why did God do it this way, this time? What was he doing? What was his grand scheme? And those are fine to study. But sometimes I, I kind of take God out of the equation and I try to overexplain it. The reality is, is some of this is beyond our comprehension, certainly above mine. But perhaps, I want to give us a couple perhapses. Perhaps God decided to reveal himself through Peter and John and their laying of hands on these individuals to show that this was a spiritual decision. Or my next perhaps is that God wanted to show his love, his authority, his goodness, and that it is bigger than this other dazzling show that was taking place through Simon. So that the people would see that it wasn't just a little bit better than Simon. This was bigger than they could possibly comprehend. And they also, I think the people perhaps needed to see Simon be put in his place publicly because this is not a show. This is not something that God's doing just to um, impress the people and get a round of applause. This is the God of this universe stepping in and blessing his people with his presence. And it's God, I think, in this moment, revealing that he alone is worthy of our praise and our adoration. And he does not share the praise with other idols and other things that we worship, like Simon had been doing. As we conclude here today, where are, the, where are you praying for the good news to travel with you in this life. We see that the, the people were scattered, but yet they proclaimed the good news. I want us to take some time to have some introspection, asking yourself, what happens when someone follows Jesus for the first time? Is it fireworks and miracles? Or is it truly the, the Almighty One, the maker of heaven and earth, entering into his creation. Not revealing all of his authority, but enough to remind us that he is worthy of us following him. A microscopic vision of God's cleansing authority, of changing every heart. This is astounding to me, that God can go in and clean us up. Obviously, he's not actually cleaning and wiping up our heart but he goes in to our darkest part of us, our sinful nature, and he cleans it up. The spiritual microscopic. Will you let God work spiritually, microscopically, and have all of you and clean you all the way up? 
so that you will not just have a cleansed spirit, but that you'll have a changed way of thinking, a changed desire that you would desire God's will and not your own. And that we would comprehend that God's love is macroscopic. It is for the entire world. It is for all people. And he wants to do that same love for everyone. Perhaps the fact that people had to move from an unco- in an uncomfortable way, but yet they kept believing and professing their faith. Perhaps you needed to see that today so you can be challenged. How am I taking my faith with me? Do I see my current reality as an opportunity or do I see it as a disaster? Today, I really hope that you will imagine yourself how God is asking you to join him in this journey. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you love us. Thank you that you are with us. And you give us your Holy Spirit who is full of your authority and your goodness. You want to clean us not just externally, not in some actual cleaning way, but you want to take our heart that is broken with sin, that is darkened with sin, and you want to clean us up. And you want us to change our ways. And you want us to follow you and believe in you. Lord Jesus, that we would be sincere when we say, Jesus, here's my heart. I want to follow you. Help me to change my priorities. Help me to submit my life under your authority and know that you are good and you care for me. Thank you, Jesus, that we can spend this time in your word and that it is inspiring and good for us to hear today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Once again, it's been a joy to be with you and to be welcomed into your place here today. Thank you, Newberg friends, for this opportunity to continue to do ministry together. Thank you for your partnership and prayer for us, the staff, those that are, this message is going out to. We love and appreciate that you are praying and investing in us. God bless you as you continue on with the last parts of this service.